This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is April 17th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Uh, John Hupsey. I was at the station from the summer of 1967 to the summer of 1970. Okay. What first brought you to WVHC Hofstra Radio? Well, I grew up in Hempstead on Broadfield Road, which the northern end of my street touches the westernmost part of the Hofstra campus. That's that parking lot for Weed and Adams Halls. So we were all very, very close, <laughs> close to it. Um, I first got interested in WVHC during the summer of 1967 because my older sister, Peggy Ann, had listened to some of the shows. And she told me about this Save the Station marathon. And we, we labeled a large empty coffee can with Save WVHC. I still have the coffee can. <laughs> and my, my brother had just gotten married and my parents were holding a garden party for all the neighbors uh, who were unable to travel to New Jersey for the wedding. And Peggy and I walked around the party soliciting donations for the station, uh, which certainly nonplussed my mother. Do you, do you mind my asking how old you were at the time? Uh, I was 15. Okay. We went to the station um, in the basement of the little theater and gave the money to someone, but I don't remember who it was. And I was just so excited to be in a real radio station. Uh, working in broadcasts was not new in my family because my older brother, Joe, attended Carnegie Tech in Pittsburgh, and he worked for their station, WRCT, as well as working in New York City for several New York TV stations during his breaks. And sort of coincidentally, he and his new bride were renting a house just across California Avenue from WVHC. And since I was, uh, at that point, I was 15 years old, attending Shamana, the Catholic high school in uh, Mineola, and I was on summer vacation, so I would be I would visit Joe and the station at, at that point frequently. So I found out what I needed to work as the engineer, and I started studying for that third class radio telephone license. My father took me into New York City, and I took the test. And so I guess you passed. You did okay uh, on the test. I did okay on the test. Yes, uh, the the the, uh, the FCC guy. Um, who was uh, giving the test was really scary. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I, I can bet. I can bet. But uh, were, were there many people taking the test at the time? I'm always curious. I've heard about this, but I've never known. Were, was it a couple people, a dozen or so? Yeah, less than a dozen. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. So you first make it down to the station. Uh, do you remember any of the people that you met when you first got down there? Well, I don't remember who I first met, but probably people like uh, Susan Chernis, who is now Sue Ronnenberger, uh, Jimmy Require, and Frank Dunn. And those three became like my absolute best friends. Mm -hmm. uh, the station manager at the time was either Gary Armstrong or Mark Weiner, I don't recall. But when my wife and I uh, came for the, the WRHU 50th anniversary, uh, they, both, they both welcomed me so, uh, and remembered me. <laughs> Oh, that's very nice. That's nice to hear. Um, do you remember your first impression of the station when, when you went down there? Did you have an idea of what to expect a radio station to look like? Um, not, not really. Um, I just kind of took it in for, you know, for what it was. Um, I, had, I had, had no preconceived notion. Okay. 
Um, so you go down to the station. Were there any training classes that helped you get to prepare to be on the air? Yeah. I mean, after I got the, the license and, you know, they were all hung on the wall in Studio A. Um, I was trained on the Gates console by by various people. Everyone was very helpful, very friendly. They all wanted you to, to learn how to do it. Mm. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, you know, I worked several shifts a week and also kind of hung around the station at other times during the summer. During the uh, school year, I would do uh, weekend slots and very rarely something during the week. But during the summer, I was like there all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, one of the uh, my uh, favorite slots was I would be signing off the station Saturday night at midnight and then signing it back on again the next morning at noon. <laughs> so these two shows were a complete contrast. The Midnight one uh, to midnight one was was hard rock with Dave Lamble, and the morning uh, noontime one was Broadway hits with Robin Phillips. Um, you know, I like working with all the announcers that I worked with at WVAC, but they they were perhaps my my favorites. Um, Dave would walk me home after we locked up the station because that was the only way my parents would let me do a show so late. Mm. And, you know, it was only a few blocks away, and I think it was on the way to where he he was living also. Now, Robin Phillips was an older woman. (laughs) She was probably 30, (laughs) but, you know, I was 15. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She came in only once a week, and... I'd be waiting at the top of the stairs for her. She had a big handbag full of Broadway records and the key to the studios. And we turned the station on. And I mean, she was just so nice. And we worked together so well. It was just, uh, it was just one of my favorite times. Um, in addition, as, as being involved with the Hoster campus, um, every Sunday morning earlier, Jimmy McGuire would pick up me and my sister Peggy and bring us to the Catholic Guitar Mass, which was uh, over in the new student center. And, you know, it was right after Vatican II, and only colleges were really doing new forms of, uh, of worship music. And Peggy loved folk music, singers, played the guitar. So that's why we sort of ended up there. So that was mm. just an additional um, uh thing that we did did with the college but in general it was just all on the job learning and everyone willing to teach you um you know you had how to run the board how to slip cue records do segues run the ampex tape drives the cart machines how to bulk erase splice tapes of course read the transmitter meters and keep the log being the most important fcc uh, part Mm -hmm. of that um i'd only only participated in a few remotes um, one I think was basketball uh, with Jerry Landau and or Todd Schwartz. Uh, interestingly, years later, when I was at college at, at, at Cornell University, one of my best friends at that radio station, which is WVBR FM, was Larry Schwartz. No relation, but he lived on Long Island right around the corner from Jerry Landau. <laughs> small <laughs> world, just, I guess. Very right? small world. So did you ever feel intimidated as a high school student hanging around with these college students or, or was it just you, you just were so excited to be there? It didn't matter. 
I did not feel intimidated at all. They were so welcoming and friendly to me. I never, it was never any problem. They just um, kind of, you could almost say, took, took me under their wing. Oh, nice. So who were some of the people who helped you feel comfortable at the station, either uh, socially or professionally uh, doing stuff on the air? And was there a moment where you felt like, yeah, I feel comfortable here. I, I want to spend as much time as possible. Well, um, you know, before this interview, I made up a list of everyone I could remember who was at WVHC during those years. And it was about 25 people. But some of them, like 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 Robin, only came in once a week. Um, the best radio host in, in the category, that category of once a week was Fred Motley. He did the mainstream jazz show. Now, Fred was a bus driver on the Beeline bus company out of Queens. And he... He, he really was older, uh, 40s or 50s. Mm. His phrase when he met you was, got my 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> he was very popular with all the black ladies in the audience. And he would get so many calls from them during the show that we used to joke about him having multiple wives around, around, around Long Island. <laughs> but I did love engineering for him. Um, he was the only announcer who listened to himself with headphones and an FM radio, which he brought with him. Everyone else, of course, just listened to the program feed from the, from the board. Well, one day, Frank Dunn and Jimmy McGuire uh, decided to fool with him. And while a record was playing and Fred was on the phone, they used the two Ampex tape drives to delay the broadcast by a couple of seconds. So Fred puts out his headphones, starts talking. He hears his voice delayed, <laughs> and he starts hitting his FM radio. Oh, no. He finally sees Frank and uh, Jimmy roaring with laughter in the control room. He just smoothly removes his headphones and continues until the next record. Then he charges out of Studio A and confronts them. But, it, you know, it was all taken in jest, you know, because a, a lot of fooling around happened there. Um, the other thing I remember... Um, down the basement uh, studios, there were these strange tunnels that um, were accessible via trap doors very high up in the walls, one in the front office and one behind the racks in the control room. Well, one day, someone, it was either George Berger or Jimmy McGuire, crawled through and began making funny noises behind the racks to scare whoever was at the console at that time. I kind of remember it being a girl. Well, he got yelled at by the station manager for doing that. Like, never go in those tunnels again. So, wow, I've not heard about these these tunnels. Or was it was it something to do with like the the airflow? Or was I it... think so. Yeah, it was because if you look at the at the footprint of the little theater. The station was only this one corner, and so I know it must have been it must have been air air or something. But 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 they didn't have grills in them; they had doors on them. <laughs> no, I don't know. How strange! The the the, the mysteries uh, continue to unravel here about the the station under the little theater. I'm I'm, I'm so curious uh, about that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what other shows or programs did you work on? Well, uh, I really relished my experience engineering for so many different announcers uh, presenting such a wide spectrum of music. Uh, there was, however, quite too much middle-of-the-road music at that time. Um, but I, I got such a, 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 an 
eclectic taste in, in music that, you know, that has lasted me, you know, to this day. Um, I engineered for, you know, Gary Armstrong, Mark Wiener, Bob Dunn and their shows. And they in particular taught me a lot about how to be a studio engineer. Mm. Um, and then there were specialty shows, which were, which, which were the best. I engineered for three different jazz shows, each of which favored a different style or period of jazz. Fred had the mainstream jazz. Sp Steve Spivak had modern jazz. And Ron Bush uh, had the world of jazz. He had the calmest voice of anyone I've ever heard. It was just so sweet. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I also like doing the folk shows. Um, I only remember the one which Les Bear uh, called Strictly Folk, uh, which he did. It, and there were there were a couple others. I just can't remember their names. Mm. Um, and I don't know. I had I think this, at the station, um, maybe from the folk shows, um, I became really interested in in Laura Nero. And like, to, you know, to, to this day, I just love her music. Mm. So I never would have discovered it except for uh, for working there. Um, I love that you mentioned Ron Bush, because I had the opportunity to work with Ron when I was at the station in the early 1990s. And I loved just listening to him talk. Yep. And obviously he would talk a lot about the music, but even just having a conversation with the man. He just had the greatest voice and he was just the nicest guy. Yep, absolutely. That's that's just one of those people I just I just loved. <laughs> yeah, and I want to go back a little bit further. You said something about uh, earlier middle of the road music. What did that mean to you at the time? Um, yeah, middle of the road or M O R, yeah. as we called it. Um, it was easy listening music. You know, Montevani and his strings. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, some of the uh, probably some of the um, singers who were very popular in the 40s and 50s, who then in their later years were doing uh, other stuff. I, I can't remember a lot about it, but it it was not what was popular with with any kids at the time. That's for sure. That's what I was getting at. I was figuring it was it was for a more mature audience, not necessarily for high school and college students. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, most, you know, you, you'd be listening to, you know, WABC or something like that. So I'm curious, you know, if you if you had this interest in, in radio, if you can remember, um, what were some of the, the stations or, or maybe even DJs that you were listening to that kind of piqued your interest? Um, at at uh, uh, apart from from Hostra? Uh, apart from. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned, WABC, were there other commercial radio stations that you listened to that you thought, oh, this is fun. I want to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, WABC, WMCA, mm -hmm. um, uh, w, WABC FM before it turned into WPOJ. Mm -hmm. um, those, 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 those were mostly them um, that I recall. Okay, okay. So who else was at the, at the station uh, that you were working with? Because you, you've, you've named a lot of names, but I imagine you have more. You said you had a list of 25. I do. Um, now, let me see. Um, well, I mean, you had asked, you know, about um, how I felt I f fit in as a team, whatever. But even I have to say, there were core as a core of people at the station. They were all good friends of mine. And I really was privileged to be part of that group because we did things away from the station. 
we did trips to Jones Beach. Uh, we went out for drinks at at uh, Bill Bill's Meadowbrook. Mm-hmm. They always bought me a Coke. <laughs> we did a, a visit to uh, the the WABC studios, which I think was on the night of Super Bowl three, I recall. Wow! And that was to meet Chuck Leonard, who was like our idol, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. George Berger was working there at the time. He may have him be engineering for the show. Um, we had Christmas parties, uh, and there were so many Christmas parties, but so many people there were Jewish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, for me, I went to a Catholic grammar school, a Catholic high school, and my neighborhood was like almost totally Catholic. Everyone attended Our Lady of, of, of Loretto School in Hempstead. And so, in a way, these are the first Jewish people I'd ever met and and hung out with. Um, and I just found it strange that some of them changed their names. It didn't sound Jewish. Like Big Bog Dunn, of course, was actually Steve Rosenfeld. Ross Berman um, went by Ross Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know if she's Jewish or not, but um, the Country Western show was hosted by by Alice Leroy, but that was not her real name. And I cannot remember her real name. I can't remember her boyfriend because he used to engineer for her. But I I also did on a few occasions. And that was one of our many uh, um, specialty shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but um, every show I did en- engineer on was was enjoyable was an adventure maybe not this week at the un which are those tapes they sent in every week that we had to run oh okay (laughs) though there was a funny story about that um i remembered is that um i think um frank dunn was running the tape and jimmy mcguire thought it had to be queued up and it was, it was, he just started and it was on the air and he thought, maybe he thought it was, uh, it was on, on the, uh, audition channel. And so it went all, it went on the air as this week yip, yip, at the UN. Oh no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Those two. <laughs> anyway, I really want to tell you, however, about, about one of the most fun shows I did. It was one of the uh, announcers who came in only only once a week, Mark Adler, and he did a show which I think was called Genesis of a Record. He brought in a big stack of heavy shellac 78 RPM records, which were music from the teens, the 20s, and the 30s. So I had to replace the standard uh, phonographic needle on the on the gray research tone arm with the 78 needle because everything's recorded you know, differently in that yeah. than on your 33s or your 45s. And, you know, as in every music show, the announcer would come out every so often with, you know, a stack of uh, records and tell you like what, what order they should be, they should be played in. But I can still picture in my mind, Mark running out all excited, handing me another, another record. It just, one of those things, it just, just sticks in my mind. Yeah. Um, not everyone, I think, I know the way I put it is some people was kind of cool to him because I don't know he only came in once a week he brought his own records and most people weren't appreciative of that era of music mm-hmm. so I don't know why but 
Um, the interesting sidelight to this is that at the time, uh, as I, when I was engineering Mark's show, a young man named Rich Conaty listened to, to this program and thus became en enamored with that music period. He went on to attend Fordham University and he started an extremely long running program for over 40 years on WFUV called The Big Broadcast. And uh, I and my family have enjoyed that over the years until, until you know, sadly he died in, in 2017. I'd always meant to contact him and tell him that I was the one spinning those records which inspired him. Wow, that would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so as far as other specialty shows, it took a lot of convincing of, of Jeff Krause and the other station management to allow Dick Harkoff to host the Top 40 Rock and Roll show, which would be just like WABC. Like, I think Jeff was, but we're not WABC, you know, we don't, right. but he finally got to do it. Frank Dunn and I were, were just crazy over WABC. All the jingles, you know, WABC, ding. Mm -hmm. And we'd point to each other and expect the other one to say, Chuck Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so speaking of Jeff Krause, do you remember meeting him the first time or interacting with him? Uh, I really didn't meet him for quite some time, probably not even, not during the first summer at all. Um, and I don't remember exactly when I met him. And in some ways I don't, didn't have, I don't recall a lot of interaction with him. I did engineer for his wife, Marilyn. Mm -hmm. Um, and and, you know, at some point uh, the, when the offices in Memorial Hall were established, then it was even less chance for me to run into him because I was only in on the weekend or whatever. So um, so I, I really can't say that much except the things I heard from everyone else when I was there, right. you know. But you didn't have um, any run-ins or scary phone calls from him saying, what are you no, doing over there? Not, No, not at all. So, well, good um, for you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, other technical people I met, um, I met, um, a, and, and like Frank, Frank Runstein mm -hmm. was, uh, came in and helped to, uh, you know, maintain all, all, all the equipment. And I think I met him first before I met, uh, Teddy Ronnenberger or, or TR, who was the chief engineer at the time. And Frank just taught me about having respect for keeping equipment clean and orderly, not just in, in good operational shape, but just everything about it. And that, that really affected me and for, my, for my entire life as being an electrical engineer and just you know, keeping things neat, keeping things straightforward. It was just one of those things. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could tell the place definitely, and the people made a, a, a huge impression on you, uh, and, and these memories have, have stuck with you. It seems like you had a lot of good relationships. Did you have any nicknames or, or anything like that at the station? Okay, so Sue called me John John, but I think she was the only one who did. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I did eventually become really good friends with TR and Sue. Mm -hmm. uh, I attended their wedding. I'm the godfather to their daughter, uh, Julie Rankin. <laughs> and Teddy, Teddy was, had to be one of the funniest people to be around. He joked, he told stories. Um, it was just, 
driving in the car with him, it was just like so funny. Mm, that's great. <laughs> um, and the thing about Sue is, I would be just you know hanging around the control room, sitting on the back table, which is where people sat. There was just a table there, just watching what was going on. And Sue would say, you know, he's going to write a book about us. <laughs> so I think this interview is it. Okay. <laughs> um, but I don't want to leave out anyone else. Um, I remember uh, Shelley Foyer. Mm -hmm. um, she was very nice, a very good announcer. I engineered for her a bunch of times. Uh, Lynn Gesualdo, I think her name was. She was very pretty. She was married. I don't remember. I just remember she was there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and there were a few people I only slightly overlap with. I think Rich Cunningham and Tom Curley. Mm -hmm. um, I know Tom Curley worked with my brother later on in some of their uh, you know, corporate TV projects. So another small world kind wow. of thing. Um, I, 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 I want to mention one another thing I remember, which I was not involved in. There was a project that an outside group came in and they produced for the station in our studios a series of radio dramas based very closely on the Sherlock Holmes stories. Now, I'm a lifelong Sherlockian. I'd love to have recordings of those shows. I hope the tapes are still somewhere in the archives because they were sun they were done so excellently and so accurately, you know. Um, you know, un unlike some, some some adaptations. I don't know who this group was, but mm. they came, they did them, and and we broadcast them. Well, we'll we'll put the word out there, and and maybe someone knows something about it and can can dig that up. Whether it's on a, on a analog media or digital digital media, that would be a, that would be quite a find. Yeah. So you have all these wonderful stories and 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 friendships, and and we have the benefit of hindsight and experience. Um, but can you go back into your mind when, as a, as I guess a 15 year old, when you first started at the station and think, what, what do I hope to get from Hofstra radio? Well, um, the, my time there was, was lots, lots of fun, lots of learning, but I had no intention of, of going into broadcasting. Um, uh, my brother did, he went into, um, Exxon's corporate TV and then later on he did. Uh, independent filmmaking, but you know, I just, I think I just wanted to be involved with music because mm. that has, has been my, my, my lifelong love, you know, and, um, and I'm convinced that working at the station did help me in my college interview. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I had an interview with a Cornell alumnus and he was just so impressed that I was working at a college radio station. Nice. <laughs> and I think, I think that got, I think that got me in. <laughs> um, so I'm very, very, very grateful for that. And so I ended up going to Cornell studying electrical engineering. And while I was there, I helped build a, a new broadcast studios for our student run commercial station, WVBR. And I did engineer for a weekly remote broadcast called bound for glory, which I think it's been going on more than 55 years now. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Live, live folk groups and stuff. It was, it was, it was a big challenge and, uh, and, and that was a lot of fun. So that's the, I guess 
a love of music is 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 what is is what I got out of it. It's it's hard to imagine, you know, looking forward as a 15 year old that oh, I want to do these things and go to this college. But I guess that's the starting point, and what a wonderful place to start. Yes, yes, it was. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these stories and memories. This has been a, a real pleasure. And uh, I have more questions and maybe another time we can get together and uh, tell some more stories. Thank you so much. Thank you.